Hello, and welcome to Restored, a journey to healing and wholeness. I am your host, Vernita Bowe. Life is not always smooth sailing. In fact, the Bible assures us that we will have trials and tribulations, and sometimes healing can be painful. Life crushes you, and the process to a better you can be difficult. I hope that after listening, you will know that you are loved and that you are not alone. So let's get started. This episode begins now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Restored, a journey to healing and wholeness. I am your host, Vernita Bowe. I am here to encourage and inspire you to be courageous and intentional about your journey to wholeness. My special guest today is Christopher Hill. Chris is a teacher, an author, and a motivational speaker. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are more than welcome. Chris joins us from Abu Dhabi. And let me tell y'all, I have never met anybody from Abu Dhabi and probably would not have had I not be doing this show. So, Chris, tell me a little bit about life in Abu Dhabi. Again, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be on your podcast, your platform, to be able to speak about my journey and healing and also about my upcoming memoir. I'm a teacher here in Abu Dhabi. I've been teaching here for three years, and it's been very, <laughs> very interesting to say the least. Um, a lot of light bulb moments have clicked on, as I discuss in my book. A lot of my American ideologies had to be eradicated from my mind. So <laughs> it's been a journey. But it's been so rewarding. I've learned so much just living here. And honestly, it's it's home. It feels like home now. Uh, when I go home to the States, the States feels foreign to me now. And mm-hmm. so I love it here. The only thing I don't like about being here is the heat. I don't like summer. And so the heat is, I mean, it's unbearable. And I'm from Texas. Texas summers now like winters to me. So, I mean, we're in December now and the hottest that it's going to get, or the coldest, should I say, it's going to get maybe in the 60s. It's been interesting to say the least, but I wouldn't trade this journey for the world. I mean, God has really, really, truly blessed me to to have this opportunity to be here. And I talk about more of the journey of how I got here in the book. So you said the heat. So what is the hottest that that you've experienced? (laughs) So the hottest that it'll get here, you're looking at, first of all, you're looking at heat index well into 130. Uh, Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, it is hot. And I tell people all the time, you know, if you come in to visit me, you have to do it between November and April, because after that, it's a wrap. It is a wrap. I'm not hosting anybody. I'm not going outside. We're literally in the house. When you walk outside, your glasses fog up. The humidity is just, just terrible. So summers are brutal here, I will say. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Bad hair days? Oh, no. All the time. All the time. But I'm sure it's beautiful. It is. It's a beautiful place. And the UAE just celebrated its 50th National Day. So to put that in perspective, my mom is 51 and she's older than this country. So to see what they've done in 50 years is just unmatched. And sometimes I can't help but compare it to the US, I mean, we've been almost what, almost 300 years as a country and we have not advanced nearly as much as this country has in 50 years. But what I've learned is that a country can thrive, it can progress if it has willpower and, and this country has it. Well, great, I'm glad you are enjoying your journey. 
So tell our listening audience, Chris Hill, a little bit about you. Okay. Yeah. I, so obviously my name is Christopher Hill. Um, I am soon to be 33 years old next Friday. Grateful. Uh, I always say when I say I'm about to be 33, I say it's my Jesus year. So, you know. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I grew up in the South, in Dallas. You know, life wasn't handed to me on a, on a silver platter. I've had to work for everything that I've had. But the mindset that I have now has not always been. Um, I wanted to drop out of school. I wanted to, you know, just give up on a lot of different things. And I kind of, you know, I explained that in the book. But what I think was the, the catalyst turn for me is when I got saved at the age of 24. My perspective, my ideologies on a lot of different things changed. Now, right in the book where um, I was living for a moment and not for purpose. Mm. I had a degree. I had, you know, quote unquote friends. <laughs> I had an apartment. I was young, living downtown, things like that. But I was living on the edge and with this YOLO mentality. And what I realized is that that could have really taken me out. And so it wasn't until I found God, because I didn't grow up in church. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, these phrases, and I talk about that in the book, the phrases about, you know, Kojic Baptist, this, this, and I didn't know anything about that. I literally came to God, literally, I always say on my deathbed. And you, people read the book, they'll understand what I mean by deathbed. No, I wasn't near death, but it felt like it spiritually. And, and, let, me, so, and let me just interrupt you for a minute there, because that's a great point. And I hope our listening audience hears that that you don't have to be in church to get saved. That's not how God works. God is everywhere. And he will come to you just as you are, where you are. Thank you you for that, Chris. Yes, and that was was a thing. Like I, I didn't go, like you said, I didn't go in the church to get saved. I was brought to the church through my, God found me through my, my lowest and my, like Paul said, chief of sinners. Like I felt like that. Um, I mean, you're talking to somebody that used to curse God. I remember one time where I literally said F, you know, and I'm just like, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy for that. Because, you know, that was, that was terrible, but his grace and his love, it just, it really brought me to him. And, and, and as a result, I was forever changed. Now that doesn't, that didn't mean my journey got easier. It just mean I started to have some help. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because he said we're going to have trials and tribulations, but exactly. he's going to be with us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's a wonderful thing exactly. right there. So, Chris, exactly. let's talk about your journey. At the age of three and four, I was molested off and on by a friend of the family, oftentimes molested in the same room as my brother, who's a year younger than me. So if you put that in perspective, even just spiritually, and as I started to heal from all those different things, I was exposed to sex at the age of three, Mm. where I shouldn't have never been exposed to that, right? Right. So what it did is it created hurt, it created trauma, you know, because sometimes, you know, in the Black family, we don't have an outlet, right? And so we can't talk about it, you know, as as a young boy. Black man, at that young black boy, you're told not to show emotion. You're told what I call toxic masculinity. You know, I'm learning now that, wow, my my ability to express myself, my ability to talk about it, to cry about it, to feel it, that was my strength. And so through that, I was able to heal from so much. I got into church, as I stated, and dealt with church hurt. And that kept me down to where I was in a depression because this was my inaugural experience to the church. 
And so because this was my inaugural experience, I equated God to church. And he had to show me through transition, through moving to Chicago, because I've always wanted to move to Chicago to teach on the South Side. Like that was my thing. And when I moved to Chicago, he, you know, taught me even in that in that space, you know, get back in church. I'm not like, man, I don't have these ways. I'm not like this. So it was through my dreams, as the title of the book says, it was through my dreams that he began to shift my perspective on, on my on my own journey. And so I can talk about it all day, but it's in the book. My journey consisted of trials, trauma, healing, more trauma, healing, more trauma. It was like an up and down effect. But my ability to navigate through that came through my my life and, and the dreams that I've asked God to bless me with. I thought I was living dreams just to be living them. And, and it ended up being, oh, wow, he's actually using this to, <laughs> to shift me, which was weird but i look back hindsight now it's like oh okay i get it now (laughs) and isn't god good i mean he really is listening (laughs) he is and i want to say this before we move on Uh, i write in the book how i learned how to pray oh yes and i learned i was here in uh, the uae during COVID, and i talk about how i applied to teach overseas seven times And the times that I applied to teach overseas, he decides to bring me over here now during a pandemic. God is knowing all, right? So you knew it was going to be a pandemic. Why did you bring me here at this point? So I was mad. I was mad at God. This This time last year, I was so mad at God. And when I finished, I was complaining. I was, oh man, I was just giving it to him, right? And when I finished, the Holy Spirit told me, thank you for praying. And I was like, well, what are you, what, what I was, and I write about it in the book. I said, I was complaining. I was giving you everything. And he said that you prayed to me because I already knew how you were feeling. I needed you to acknowledge. And that's when I learned about David. When God called David a man after his own heart, he wasn't talking about David had a, a perfect heart. David was pure. If you read the Psalms, David, he he was mad, he was sad, but at the end of it, he still gave God the glory and God was able to use him because David was transparent. And so I try to, you know, convey that in the book that through my complaining, through my murmuring, I learned grace and I learned prayer. And and that is so true because David was not perfect, but he was always seeking God. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart. He was seeking God and he was transparent, as I am sure you have been in your book. When you say you learn how to pray, I'm so glad you said that because some people think that you got to pray all this thou art thee and thou's and all that kind of stuff just because that's what you hear. But that's not what God desires. God wants us to pray our heart. Yes. He he wants us to pray. See, prayer is our communication with God. And he is not, he's not sitting there waiting for us to get all educational about our prayers to say them in a different way. He already knows what our hearts, he already knows how we're feeling. He knows everything about us. You know, he preordained us before we came into this world. So he already knows what we're going to pray, but we don't pray to get God to do something. And I think that's what people have got messed up on prayer. We pray because God has already decided which prayers he's going to answer. So we pray in hopes that our prayer will be answered. And I often think about how many times do we not get 
some of the things that we need because we don't pray about them. Exactly. And that that's one thing that I, I had to learn too. the scripture. He, the low supply. Um, he will supply all your needs according to his riches exactly. and glory. Yeah, exactly. And so my, my thing where I had to realize is, you know, why not what I was praying? Why was I praying this? Yeah. Like, why was I asking God to, to, to move me here during the times I apply? Why was I asking God to give me this? Why, what was my motivation behind asking God? And that's why, you know, I also write in the book too about him saying, you know, your heart, this follow your heart mentality is so toxic. If you're a believer, because the heart is deceitful. It don't, it knows not what it wants. And so, you know, we have to continuously pray the will of God. And that's what I had to do during COVID. Abraham Lincoln famously, and I wrote this in the book, he famously once said, while leading America through the most tumultuous time in our history, the civil war, more casualties. Well, now COVID exceeded more casualties than the civil war deaths. But at the time that was the most bloodiest war we'd ever had in our, in our country. But he said, Abraham, and I'm paraphrasing, but Abraham Lincoln said, when I could not understand my own heart, when I didn't know my motives and what I was doing, I had to fall to my knees. Basically saying, if you wasn't praying before you were president, make a prayer and a believer out of you. And so for me, I felt like that here during COVID for 2020. And our lockdowns here were nothing like the States. I mean, you were locked down. And so I'm in my apartment tempted to to take this flight from the embassy to head back home to be in the familiar. God had me to check his track record. He'd always brought me through even when I didn't see it. So that's what I stood on. Even when I didn't hear him, I still stood on his history and his track record. And that was my strength, you know? And so I understand when people say now, God has done this, he's done that. I didn't understand that until I actually had to use what he'd done to bring me through this season of my life. And so that was that was very, very hard. But I, I had to fall on my face. I had to get away from my own understanding. I know you talk about your journey and you talk about some of the things that happened in your journey. Is there any part of your journey that you would consider more dark than another part? Nobody's ever asked me that question before. But you know what the crazy thing is? I have an answer for that. Because I, as a young boy, I couldn't really remember the acts of the molestation. I just kind of felt the remnants of it through sexual identity, confusion, hurt, trauma, one fight all the time, angry. Like I felt the remnants of that act. But as I got into my adulthood, what was more dark for me is doing something when I knew the right thing to do. Mm. And that was me getting into a relationship that I never should have been in. And it brought a lot of negative traits um, out of myself to where I'd actually talk about this too, where I held a knife up to my stomach and was counting down from 10. It was that abusive, that toxic, that dark to where I was like, Lord, and I wasn't seeing him or hearing him with any of this. And so because I could remember every detail about that, and because I knew that it was what I did, it was self-inflicted, that created a more of a darker moment for me because this is something that I allowed to happen in my adult life. And not only in my adult life, but I was already saved. I was like seven, almost five or six years in to, you know, serving God. And so I felt that. I felt the the conviction. Um, the devil tried to get me to feel condemned. Like, I felt all of that. And so for me, it made it the darkest moment because one, I remember the details, but I also, I held a lot of guilt because I allowed it to happen when I knew better. That's what made it dark for me. And so now 
I'm really guarding my heart. And I put that scripture in my book because this is all we have. This is the gateway to understanding him. This is the gateway to the Holy Spirit. This is the gateway to everything. For me, I have to protect this at all means. It's it's detrimental. I have to. Yes, I understand what you're saying because sometimes I think about if it had not been for God's grace, where would I be? There's nothing that I can contribute even my life to because I almost died with COVID. The doctor didn't think that I was going to live. And they expressed that to me that this was new for them. I was on a ventilator for 16 days in the hospital for 30. When I came out, I had to learn how to do everything all over again. Walk, talk, feed myself, everything. You know, I couldn't do anything on my own. I had to have physical therapy. All that had to take place. But I'm here. And it's only by God's grace that I'm here. Amen. That's why COVID, COVID has done so much for me to change, like even how I look at life and how I look at people. Like I'm not judgmental anymore. You know, I'm more loving and more compassionate. And, you know, when you talk about guarding your heart, I really, really have to do that. Even when it comes around being around people who are negative and people who are always talking about evil things and bad things. And I walk away quickly. I don't care if it's family. I don't care who it is. I walk away quickly because you're right. That is the gateway to God for us. And if we allow any and everything to um, be a part of our heart, then our heart could become hardened. And we can't hear when God is speaking to us. And that's the last thing I want to happen. I want to be able to hear when God is speaking to me, especially when yeah. he's saying move. You yes. Know? It's funny you say that because I don't always get it right, but I do know that in my heart, I do desire to do the will of God, even if it causes me temporary pain, because at the end of the day, he gives us free will. Right. And I write a book, I write in the book where I had gotten out of God's will before and I became Satan's lunch. And so because of that experience, the thing is we can experience it, but will you learn from it? I had to learn from that experience. Like, I don't care how bad it gets. If I'm in God's will, it's going to work out. And I put in the book too, his will prevails because we carry his anointing. If we walk outside of his will, we no longer have his anointing for the assignment. So we're, we're basically trying to do things in our own power and own strength, which I learned I couldn't do. When I realized that a lot of that became, okay, just give it up. I wrote in the book where God said, you know, I had to get you to this place because you thought that you were here. God had to show me what I didn't know. And it was, I mean, it was to the point to where I was in bed one one day last year during the summer. And I was just in a fetal position because I just felt like a a newborn baby because I was reaching a, a level of deliverance during that time. And you know, deliverance doesn't always have to be you in this whole show in front of people and things like that. And I write about that too, where I don't ever want to be found guilty of acting as if God is doing something or I feel his presence and it's really not, then that doesn't really speak to his power, you know? And so I decided that, you know, Lord, I want to feel you. I, I don't care about doing this in front of people. And that's why I think, you know, I've learned a lot just being here because I am in a wilderness per se in obscurity. And it's, it's really helping me to find out who he really is. Cause I didn't know, you know, you, you know, of God, you go to church, but I think I was blinded by the four walls of the church from knowing who God really was. And now that I think about it, I'm more free. I'm even more free in making mistakes. I talked about this at my book launch where I don't feel like I have to be perfect as much. You know, it's still an ongoing process, but because I know God's grace and mercy, I do know that he's there even through my mistake. And you talk about everything that you've been through 
bringing you to this point. And that's just like, I think one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 8, 28. All things, all uh-huh. things. Uh, and I am finding that out to be so true in my life. Like all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I love that scripture. Now, I didn't know what it meant years ago when I was saying it. But because I've had so much to happen to me in my life now, and I see how it's all coming together for a greater purpose, for God's purpose, I understand it. I know what it means. And that is one of my favorite scriptures. You also talked about religious tradition. That was one of the hardest things for me because you're brought up a certain type of way in the church. What you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't say, what you should say, how you're supposed to dress, how you, you know, everything. And they were nothing but religious traditions because none of that's in the Bible. None of that. And God had to show me that. So I went to seminary. That one of the hardest things for me to do in seminary was learn. And the reason that was hard for me was because I had to unlearn religion before I could start learning relationship. Wow. (laughs) I I had to go there. All this stuff that I'm learning, this is not what I was taught to believe. And I'm not knocking anybody for for the way I was taught because they taught what they knew. When I was growing up, not everybody had a college education or a seminary to go to to where they can learn. And it was not that everybody went to seminary back then when I was growing up. Not that I'm that old, I'm only 57, okay? But, (laughs) But I mean, so they taught surface religion, at least the ones I was exposed to. So they read the Bible and they taught it just like they saw it, what they said, but they never taught in front of the text and behind the text, you know? They never taught in context. They never took the scriptures and found out what they meant and how relevant they were to that time so that they can find out their relevancy for our time. They never did that. They just taught what they saw. So because I was taught that way, when I went to seminary, I had to be retaught relationship. And that was so eye-opening for me. And you know, the, the, you, you touched on relationship for me, and I, I was talking to, um, one of my brothers yesterday um, who lives in Chicago that I met in Chicago. And I was telling him, you know, obviously I live in a Muslim country. The discipline that Muslims have is something that, I mean, I desire to do. I went to Sri Lanka uh, a couple of weeks ago and that was my first Buddhist country that I'd ever gone to. And the fact that they were so disciplined and you, but but the one thing that I, I concluded is that, God, you know, we, we have, the only thing they're missing is the feeling. And for me, that's what I conclude. It's the feeling. And we have that and don't tap into it. I love the fact that I can pray whenever I want to. I can I can say just a word. I can just call on the name and it just, it moves me. And so that's been one of the things that I've learned here is that I've really learned what it means to have a relationship with God. I talk about that in my book where my inaugural experience with the church felt like serving God felt like a prison to where I thought this was freedom. This was everything, you know, and I was like, when I first went to the church, I was like, well, let's see what people talking about with this Jesus character. You know, that's how I was because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't really have that, you know, as it went on, it changed me, but then it also opened my eyes, which created conflict in the church with me and, and the current church that I was at at the time. I write about where I wanted to move. I wanted to do this. 
And because I never had the support of the pastoral staff or spiritual father, you know, quote unquote, I was not released. And I'm just like, that's not, that's not biblical, you know? And so um, I started to see these things for myself. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was baptized. And so I started to, when I started to pray and read for myself, that's when I started to understand, okay, God, this is not, this is feeling like a tug of war more than an experience with you. And so it was at that time, and I write about this in the book, where I realized I was under religious narcissism. Yep. And that that shifted me to where I vowed never to be under that. And the sad part about it, because after that, when I lived in Chicago, I went to a church um, by the name of ICF, International Christian Fellowship. They loved me back to God. When I moved back to Dallas after Chicago, I went to the Life Church. They loved me back to God. I hate to say it, but it was the interracial churches that really showed me what it was <laughs> to love God. It was that black church experience where I was like, oh my goodness, not only are we living in, in the Pharisee type of situation here, not everybody was educated. So your ability to think past the pulpit was null and void. And I didn't operate like that because when I went to the church, I had a college degree. I was in grad school. I was a critical thinker, always have been. And so I couldn't understand what that was about. And I felt, I told God, I said, God, serving you is like a prison. So if this is not you, get me away from here. And I guarantee you, he did just that. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And that's one of the things I had to learn too. We pray to God for stuff. That's it. We pray. We have no control over how he chooses to answer it. And so I always be like, when I pray, sometimes I have to go, okay, I'm really like doing double dutch or something, jumping into the jumper. I'm like, okay, I'm about to pray, but I got to brace myself because I don't know how you're going to answer this. You know, I remember being in that relationship and I would lay in bed next to that person wanting to get out. And God heard me then, but it was like, okay, this is not what I meant when I said, yeah, I didn't mean to physically, we have to physically fight. Police have to be called in order for me to leave. You know, I didn't think I had to, I didn't want to be almost to my death and suicidal God for me to have to get this revelation, you know, but sometimes it, it, it does. It takes, and I wrote on this on Facebook the other day, when God doesn't have your attention, he will disrupt what does. And that was my, that was a freeing moment for me. Oh, I like that. When God doesn't have your attention, he will disrupt what does. That is so true. That is so yes. true. And I like what you said about, you know, we have the freedom to pray. We have the yeah. freedom to worship. We have the freedom to talk to God whenever we want to. We don't have scripted times where we have to go and kneel and do what we have to do. And he no. is available to us 24-7. He is everywhere all knowing he, we don't, you know, we don't have to do search for him. He's no. already here. All we have to do is seek. And that is, that is the good news, right? That because is the good news. That's the good news. And even when, you know, just his, I, I can't, I, you know, this is the thing, like people used to always tell me, it's kind of died down now, but People would always say, oh my God, you're so, you're so into it. You're so serious. You, you do too much. You're so extreme. And my thing was, well, I was extreme without him. So if I don't be extreme with him, I will go back to drinking. 
uh, you know, a fifth of Hennessy probably every two days. I will go back to being promiscuous and doing all this and doing all that. Like it's easy because that that that's what is sustaining me. And so when you realize it's not your strength, you have to be extreme in God because you realize it ain't your strength that's keeping you. It's Him. You know, I have to set boundaries. I, I'm I'm a loner. I stay at home sometimes because I have to set the boundary. That's a boundary. It's not that you know I don't like to go anywhere. My only thing I love to travel. Like I love to travel. I love to work out. That is my thing. 2020 almost took me out with this no traveling thing. But it's like, I love to do that. But outside of that, I don't really go out. I don't really do any of this. I barely go out to eat. I cook at home. I meal prep. So or I order in. It's, it's not a prison for me. For me, it's a safe boundary. Because if I don't create those boundaries, I don't care where I am. In my book, I talked about that. I don't care that I'm 8,000 miles away from home. I, I take me wherever I go. So if I don't have those boundaries and that discipline in place, it'll be just like me living back in the States. I have the same distraction of just coming different ways. And, you know, that was going to be my next point of conversation with you. Like, I know you've had to put some boundaries in your life because of your journey, because I know how it is to want to live this life. And then everything attacks you. You know, it's, it's not that life gets easier for you, but it does. You know what I mean? So it's not that it does, but it does. So let's talk a little bit more about the boundaries that you've had to put in your life. So one, I was an alcoholic. Now it's only wine or champagne. But it's crazy because I can have a bottle of wine in my house for six months before it's even gone. Um, I don't sit around the house and just drink anymore. Sex, I don't do that. I have to set those boundaries, not because of I'm afraid. This is a thing. And this is how I know that I, I really desire to do what God wants me to do. Because it's not about, say, for instance, if I have sex, I'm not afraid of the STD more so than I'm afraid of the condemn, the conviction and condemnation. I was telling my friend the other day, it was just like, you know, yes, I want to. Yes, I, I'm human, right? I, I love God more than that temporary feeling. Mm-hmm. Because when people read, when people read my book in chapter two, they'll understand why I have to set that boundary with you know with sex and and things like that. It happened even like that with um, with my past relationship that I was in that I talk about. You know, for me, sex is more than just a feeling. It bonds two people together through a soul tie, and so I had to learn that both through logic and experience. And I don't know. If your viewers or anybody have ever had to break a soul tie, that is one laboring process. I can't tell you how many times I cried. I, sometimes I would just go in my closet and just lay on my face and the answers wasn't coming right then and there. It was so much going on that I couldn't even like, I couldn't even catch myself. It was never about the person walking out of my life. It was almost taking two glue boards and trying to pull them apart. That person's soul was in me and my soul was in that person. And so I tell people all the time, when you're breaking a soul tie, that is, first of all, you have to work for that piece. And I remember my pastor at my current church, shout out to Pastor Man. I remember my pastor, I was telling him, this is when I first joined the church in 2018. And I said, Pastor, I'd be honest with him. I was like, Pastor, I have a soul tie and it hurts. I'm, I'm depressed. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I'm, I had times throughout the day where I would get depressed. 3 p.m. my time I would get depressed. He told me this, and this, and this is for anybody who's going through a soul tie. Oh my God, please listen. My pastor told me 
Chris, if God heals you uh, immediately, it's a, it's a miracle. But if he takes you through a process, you have to learn something. Either way, I'm going to be okay. And so he did not heal me instantly. So that wasn't the miracle there. But I went through a process. And the reason why I went through that process is because I had to understand what it takes to work for peace, what it takes to work for healing. Because I honestly think if God had healed me instantly, I probably would have been back into something else. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have to work for it. It's almost like now that I'm an adult, I'm working for my own money. No, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm a budget. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it because I don't work for this money. So when you've had to work for your peace, when you've had to work for your health, you know, I even talk about my working out, you know, I'll talk about it in the book. People think, you know, oh, he's working out. You're doing this, doing that. And that's fine. I mean, I show my progress. That's fine. But I started working out and I'm quoting from my book. I started working out not for vanity, but for the mere fact of breaking generational curses. My family had always had a history of staying in the pharmacy. And I didn't want that. I saw people constantly having surgery, going to the hospital. I didn't want that. And to this day, I'm the only one in my immediate family who's never had a surgery. Now, that's nothing that I've done. That's the grace of God because he's kept me in this health, you know, this good health. But that's one of his promises. By his stripes, we are healed. That's right. So a promise, you know, so we don't have to accept a disease. People say it runs in my family. Well, it's going to stop running at me. It's done. You can stop it. And so that's why I started working out. And I'm disciplined with that. I don't care about how people view my body and this, this, and that. It's for me, honestly, and I, God knows he's my witness. It is for me so I can live long and I can have a prosperous life because this is our temple. And that goes with anybody even just out there doing whatever. This is our temple. We have to protect it. We have to allow God to do the work within it. How are you going to sit there and minister or travel the world and do this and work for God? And you can barely breathe when you walk. Exactly. And that's what I had to do, too. I did it for me. My healthy lifestyle is for me. It's not for anybody else. You know, if you see me and you like me, fine and well. I know my daughter made the funniest comment the other day. She said she was looking at something on this somebody, some pictures on Instagram and the uh, women were the same age as me. And she said, mama, you, you know, you, you do too much. You like to do too much and stuff. If you look like these women right here, maybe you act more like the grandma. You supposed to. I said, Oh no, <laughs> wait a minute. That's not me. So I intentionally do something every day. Every day. And especially as you get older, if you don't, your body would take over you. And I'm like, you are like everybody in my family has some type of health condition that they're dealing with, but I don't, I'm not on any blood pressure medicine. I'm not a diabetic. I'm not, you know, any of that stuff. And I'm not saying this to brag, but I am saying this because the grace of God has kept me because of the way that I choose to keep myself exactly it's a choice it's a choice he gives us that he gives us that you know you can choose how you want to live like you said you were an alcoholic it's not like that for you anymore like you can keep a bottle of wine in the house for six months and it it won't be gone or or like when you say you know you had to break that soul tie people get the misunderstanding that that God said sex is bad. That's not what he said. He understands what happens when two people become together and how difficult it's going to be when they try to separate. 
So that's why he said, you know, it's better if you're married, you know, because then you don't have to worry about that. And the process that you have to go through when you have to break that soul tie is no joke. It's no, no joke. joke. Oh, no. And when you have, like I said, when you have to labor for it, like, and you don't know when your breakthrough is coming. That's the thing, you know. And, 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 and when you're not mature enough to handle what is taking place, because I can remember when the first time that I'd had sex and I can remember not being, you know, I was not married, but I can remember like all of the feelings and stuff. I think that's why I cried so much when 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 this relationship didn't work and and when you know it was gone and I felt bad and I felt guilty because of what I had done but it was not easily done it was not easily done you just don't yeah. get over that like getting over it no no and it I mean it literally took 2020 to, to show me that because we get caught up in the busyness of life and that covers up what we deal with because it's like out of sight, out of mind. And for me, I can't speak to anybody else, but I literally, the guy had to sit me down and he had to literally expose what I was going through. And he kept telling me, he's like, give me that, give me this. And this is all in the book. Give me this, give me that. I need this. I need that. Yep. Give me that hurt from your, from not having your father really in your life. Yep. Give me this. Cause you, you holding resentment towards this person. Yep. Give me this. Cause you're not really free from this soul tie. And it was like, Oh my goodness. So it becomes overwhelming because we think we got it together because if we don't think about it, then that means we've healed from it. And that's not the case. I literally had to sit in my mess. And, and I talk about this in my book where one time my ex and I, we were fighting, like fist fighting. I had scratches on me. I mean, everything. It was to the point to where I was having, I have a, I'm an asthma patient. So I was having trouble breathing and I was begging to pretty much get my pump while still trying to fight. And it didn't happen. The person ended up tripping and fell. That's how I was able to get my pump. But after everything digressed and, and everything was, was okay, after that person left, I, I write where my room looked so chaotic I didn't bother about cleaning it up. I didn't bother about trying to make it look nice, make it look presentable. I sat in the chaos because I had to sit in that chaos to really understand what was going on. And I think that that was a physical manifestation of what, what was going on internally. So when I got here to the UAE, he kind of did the same thing. God did the same thing, except this was more so mental and spiritual. So I had to sit in what I thought I was healed from while God helped me heal from all those different things. That's what I call being authentic. And that's what I call being real. When you can sit in your mess and acknowledge it, goes back to the point when he was saying, that's prayer. I already knew how you were feeling. I needed you to be honest and real about it. And so for me, it, that was the same exact thing. I had to sit in it to realize, Chris, you've got to clean this up. You've got to do, you've got to do this because if you don't, then you're going to continue to go through this cycle like a hamster in a wheel. And so because I dealt with that and because I sat in it, I saw it for what it was. You know, the, the most hurtful part about this was I had to see me for who I was. And when I realized that I wasn't much, when I was disappointed in myself, because my thing is I never want to be talking about something I hadn't gone through it. 
that's that's kind of why I was like, I don't want to write no book. I wrote it because it was a mandate. I hate writing, to be honest, but I wrote it because it was a mandate. And as I was writing, you know, I was like, oh my God, let me go into prayer and get, you know, deal with this. I had to go to therapy. I had to start doing different things because it, it, it had gotten so real that I was like, God, okay, I had to pause from writing and like, let me deal with this. Let me go through therapy. Let me you pray and let me fast. And, you know, my friends will tell you like, I will take some time off social media three times a year and just kind of fast and, and kind of, you know, center myself because I can feel when I need to get closer to God because the smallest thing starts to agitate me. And so I know when I need to, you know, center myself and, and get right, get right with God. So that was a, a process that was very, very, very tumultuous, but very strenuous, but so rewarding at the end. And I'm reaping the benefits of that now. I can't wait to read your book. I am writing one myself, almost done. And no, my roadblock is my transparency. Mm. And I'm very, I'm being very, very transparent. Not to the point, well, it would destroy my witness, but to the point where I hope it blesses and helps someone mm -hmm. who may have dealt with some of the same things that I have dealt with. But putting it in words for the world to read, that's Listen. something for me, man. And then every time, like, I try to go in another direction to sugarcoat it, to make it sound good, the Holy Spirit said, erase that. That's exactly. not what I was told you to put in there. You put this. That's not how it happened. Put how it happened. And I'm exactly. like, everybody or whoever is going to be reading this book. And I'm putting it out there, Lord. That's how you know that I like to say, not my will, but your will. Exactly. That's how I know this is your will because the Vernita that I am would not be doing yes. this. And let me tell you, to, to your point about when God say, this is how I told you to put it. And I realized this a couple of weeks ago. Some of the people that I wrote about Prior to me writing this book, I was still connected to. So God had to, and this goes from spiritual leaders all the way down to an ex. God had to literally tear me apart because he knew that if I was tied to the very people that I was supposed to write about, I wouldn't have been able to write the fullness of what he wanted. And, and people always say, well, how do you feel about so-and-so knowing this or so-and-so knowing that? I'm not worried about it because you want to know the difference between me now and me in 2019 and 2020 is that this time I am writing from a healed space. Yes. Yes. This is territory that God intended for us to walk on. So when you read the book, it is not about bashing anybody. It is speaking and writing from a healed place because I don't think for one second, and any, you will bear fruit from your work if you can't write from a healed space. Because what well, people, first of all, not writing from a healed space is already known because people speak from not from an unhealed place. They they act in an unhealed way. You know, they think in an unhealed way. So that's 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 normal. Writing, thinking, doing, acting from a healed space is foreign to our society. So when you do that, it catches people' attention. God said you're supposed to be peculiar people, right? Right. It's, it's that as well, you know. When people read this book, my only thing that I want people to get out of this, obviously, 
build your relationship with God through your own journey. But I also want people to understand that God can use your journey and he can heal you and he can mold you. And, you know, I talk about that in the book where I didn't want to be the poster. I didn't want to be the person that God breaks the clay to mold back together. That's painful. That's painful because you're watching everybody else. I talk about this where I had to move back home with my parents and it was never about me living with my parents. It was, for me, I didn't have a problem with it, but it was the fact that, and I, I wrote this, imagine going back into your mother's womb, but this time you come out, you're 26 years old in this society as a millennial. That is that is something like, oh, you still living at home with your parents? Oh, how do you explain, well, I'm going through a journey with God? How do you explain I'm in a wilderness with God? How do you explain that? And so, although you don't have to explain it, it still bothers you that you are in that space. I had to realize that, that if I'm going to walk with God, that means that I'm going to have to take the good, bad, the ugly. And so that's what I want people to get out of this book. You can grow your relationship with God with your journey. Our journeys may be different, but the tools are the same. Exactly. Exactly. And your journey has brought you to a place of wholeness. And wholeness does not mean that everything is right with you. Let's, let's talk about that. What does my, wholeness mean to you? What oh, does wholeness mean to you? Woo. Listen, I can talk about that all day. But my friend, um, Kimyana Bradford, I'll never forget that she told me, she said, you know, just because you're still healing doesn't mean you're not healing. And that really spoke to me because for me, wholeness is perspective. Even though I'm going through this, I'm still getting there. Yes. Even though I may not have what I need right now, I'm still going to get there. You know, and I sometimes tell my friends sometimes, change that perspective. You're not broke. You're just transitioning right now. You know, you're just going through. It's the valley that you're going through. So for me, wholeness is perspective. Everything is not right right now, but it's, it's the perspective. When I was writing, I didn't know how I was going to do most of the things that I did, but it was perspective. God, you told me, so I know that you're going to bring me through it. Wholeness doesn't mean that I walk around here thinking that I'm better than everybody. Wholeness doesn't mean that, you know, I have more followers on social media than the next person. Wholeness doesn't mean, you know, oh, I have this car, I have this job. That doesn't make you because those things are like what they say in Ecclesiastes. It's like chasing the wind. Nothing's yes. there. There's nothing there. Wholeness is your perspective. Even if I don't have this, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to do the right thing. I tell my students all the time as a teacher, I have to teach, I teach uh, seventh grade, 11 and 12 year olds. And I have to teach them what integrity means. I teach them that integrity means you do the right thing even when people are not looking. You, you have that perspective that no matter what, I'm still going to do the right things. In my classroom, my students came to, it's funny because some of my students came to me the other day, right before we got off a break. I was like, Mr. Hill, you always say I'm sorry. And I was like, what's wrong with that? but you're the teacher. And I'm like, I'm human. And so what I take with that as well is that wholeness means I acknowledge my mistake because I know that my mistake does not define me. And I talk about when I took my first trip to the UAE, how a sandboarding experience changed my perspective on me having to perform, having to be perfect. You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't very athletic. My brother was, Sister was, I wasn't very athletic, but as a boy, you're supposed to be athletic. You're supposed to be able to climb the monkey bars. You're supposed to be able to play football and basketball. And when I would try to do that in PE, I would suck. But instead of being reaffirmed 
through people who were supposed to, who were responsible and liable for my upbringing, my ideologies behind that, I let my mistake define me. And so I grew up thinking, well, I'm not, I'm less of a man because I don't know how to play basketball. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. Instead of letting that, that mistake or me not being good at something, show me, okay, Chris, well, no, but you're good at, you're good at the arts. You can sing. Not knowing that that was the devil trying to shut me up because he knows that I'm a praise and worship person. I would worship and sing at the drop of a dime. Wholeness to me, it supersedes what the human eye can see because I have the Holy Spirit showing me what that means. And so for me, it is going to always be perspective. I, I, oh, I love what you said because people are walking around here and, and there are preachers preaching that when you're whole, everything is all right. And that is not the case. It doesn't no. mean that you're going to be without mistakes. It doesn't exactly. mean that, you know, you're not going to be lonely. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're not going to feel some type of way sometimes, but it means that you understand that the grace of God goes with you and that you understand that he will never leave you or forsake you and that you understand that your life is made better because of who he is mm -hmm. and whose you are. Exactly. That's exactly. wholeness. Exactly. Exactly. And to be honest, it came through my trials. So anybody listening, don't just, I know the Bible says don't, small, don't despise small beginnings, but also I will say too, don't, don't despise your trial. They're, they're here to make you. They're here to heal you, to get you through so much. First of I all, mean, you can't walk this earth without having them. That's so true. So if anybody tells you that they've never had a trial, they've never had a tribulation, just tell them to keep on living. You can't no, walk this trip. It's going to happen to you. But exactly. don't but don't let it be you. Exactly. Don't let it define you. Exactly. Learn from it and move on. And you know, I didn't speak about this actually in the book, but it has always been a lesson that I've learned when Paul talks about the thorn in your side. And, you know, I always wondered like, well, why he never identified this, this thorn, <laughs> you know? Cause I was like, okay, God, like he's here, but he's saying this thorn in my side, but some, some problems that we go through, even with, for me, I will say on like the soul tie, that relationship that I was in, although I'm not as nearly as bad as I was, as far as thinking about it and things like that, I believe that it is a thorn. And I think that God gives us that thorn, as Paul said, to keep me humble, to keep me relying on him. Because if he releases that, then what do I need him for? Like, if that is my biggest issue right now, what do I need him for? And so I do believe when it's like, he keeps us kin to some of our trials so that we continue to rely on him. And I think that Paul didn't identify what the thorn was because that could be anything. Anything that we deal with, because I think as human beings, we're so tunnel vision at times that if he just said, oh, this financial thorn, we never would have equated it to maybe a soul tie or a relationship. I think that that's kind of why he did not identify that thorn. You know what, to be honest, I'm grateful because that's peace in knowing that, okay, well, Paul didn't specify. So what I'm going through, he understood as well, you know. What I'm going through, Jesus understood as well. You know, in the Bible, so we have an advocate with the Father. I, I really believe that. I believe that because he came down here and if he can empathize with all men, then that means that what I'm dealing with, Jesus had, he had to deal with that as well. You know, 
some, and that's why the Bible says study to show thy own self-approved because my, I may not interpret what that, what that advocate with the father means to you may not mean the same thing to me. I believe I have an advocate with the father to deal with alcoholism. Yours may be transparency, you know? So, so, so to, I think that a re, the reason why the Bible doesn't narrow in on a lot of different specifics is because it's about that relationship that we can identify with what he went through on the cross on our need. That doesn't change the doctrine. That doesn't change the wording. We have a, I have an advocate with the father. That means God, you understand my desire as a 33 year old man. You understand what I suffer with. You understand the alcoholist, because how was I ever going to go through this if God did? Where does grace come from? We don't, if he doesn't understand what we're going through, the advocacy could be from what it's a huge umbrella, but that is the great thing about Christianity. I didn't understand. It took me living in the Middle East to understand just how privileged and blessed we are to know him, not through the church. You know, it's, I haven't been to church since I moved here. So to, to, I've had to rely on relationship. I've had to be transparent and cry for him to come and answer me and things like that. I had to call on him, but it took me being here in the Middle East to realize we should not be doing all this over there in America. It's a whole war going on on Christianity and we sitting here fighting back home about a title. I just, now I can't understand it because of what I know to be true worldwide. You know, when I went to Sri Lanka and, you know, I've been to Morocco and, and so it's like, two different, obviously different religions, right? And as I'm touring with my, my tour guides and things like this, my heart sometimes breaks because I'm like, if only they knew you. They're good people. I wrote about this in my book. I had um, some people come and put some blackout curtains up and because you need them here in the Middle East. I learned that the hard way. You need blackout curtains. <laughs> so he came to put, it was him and his, his partner, they were Muslim, obviously. Um, and so everybody gets me, they think I'm from Saudi Arabia. Some people think I'm just a black Emirati. Like they think that I am Arab because of my skin tone, you know, and my beard. Until I start talking, then they know, oh, he's not from here. He's from America, he's West. And so um, he came in, him and his partner, and they were talking and I was talking to them, you know, just offering them water, things, just having a conversation with them. And he asked me, he said, are you Muslim? I said, no. He said, ah. I said, well, why you ask that? Is it my beard? He said, no. I said, is it my skin tone? He said, no. He said, what are you? I said, I'm Christian. He said, oh. I said, so why'd you ask me if I'm Muslim? He said, because you're nice. Oh, uh, you know, I've heard that before, that Christians were mean people. <laughs> And, and that's why people don't want to be Christian. We have to be careful how we yes. act at all times. Exactly. Why would somebody exactly. want to be like somebody who is always fussing and fighting and calling people out of their name and treating people in any kind of way and lying on people and passing judgment and all that. Exactly. Why would, why, if you, and you say you're a Christian, why would I want to be like you? I wouldn't want, I, some of us, the way we do things, I wouldn't want the Jesus that we speak of either. If, you, right. if, this, is what I'm seeing, if this is what I'm seeing. And so for him to say that, you know, I was just like, it was a light bulb moment. I was just like, okay. And, but you know what? We are, and it's not everybody. I want to say this. No, not it's everybody. not. It's not. But what, what is portrayed? I mean, for this guy to say that, he's had to come in contact with either media 
or he's had to come in contact with, you know, this, this whole stigma of Christianity. And after I grieved about it, about an hour later, they were still here. And I, I felt really good because I felt like, well, God, this man was able to see your spirit, who you are through this vessel. And I was so happy about that because I don't know. And I'm, I've gotten to the point to where everybody's not my assignment. And I'm okay with that. But what I did know is that this was probably a seed for that man. And one thing I've learned about teaching is that I may not see it grow. I may have to water the seed. I may have to plant the seed. Somebody else may have to come water it, you know, grow it up. But eventually that plant will grow. That's what I learned, you know, even through that experience is that I'm, I am literally a seed planter. And that, I, and I really believe that man that was a seed planted that day. I haven't seen them since then, but it was it was an eye-opening experience and, and a host of others like that here in the Middle East, which are all in the book. They even talk about the whole internet thing here, but I'll let people read that. But, that but, was... you, but you said that you were led there. So you yeah. have a purpose in Abu Dhabi, okay? And yes, he is going to make that really plainly known to you because you were led there. So just keep, will... keep believing God. Keep your faith and just keep following the Christ that you know yes, led you there. Thank you. Thank you so this much. This has really been good, really been good. But before we go, we're coming up on the Christmas holiday season. There are so many people who are without hope. Yes. There are so many people who are going through things like we've been through who think this is it. There's no reason to go on. Give our listening audience a message of hope. This morning, so thank you, Holy Spirit. This morning I woke up, I have those conversations with God like I'm talking to my friend. And so I got up this morning after bed. I said, Oh, you still had you still had something with your boy this morning. You woke your boy up this morning, huh? So I still got a little something, don't I? But that that statement alone assured me that today may not be a perfect day, but because I got up, I still have purpose. And and, a, and I talk about this in the book too. The only reason that kept me believing in America is that I had hope. I believed that something good could come out of what seemed dead. I wanted people to hear that, what seemed dead, because that's what, how God sees us. We think we're dead, but he don't see that. He sees his son. He sees the purpose that he's given us. So anytime you wake up, in the morning, know that you have purpose and that's another day to smile. It has not always been easy. I get it. I understand. I empathize with you. But as I woke up this morning, coming off an attack from my book, the, the, the previous day, I was still able to say, oh God, you woke your boy up this morning. I said, you see something in this old fella, don't you? Like you, you really like me, don't you? So that's how I talked to him. So you still have purpose if you are breathing. So during this Christmas holiday season, I'm unable to go home as well. And I, I wrote that on Facebook this morning. You know, I'm understanding what family and, and, and you know, just love means because this is my second Christmas where I'll be here uh, away from my family. And so it is the holiday season. And what I want people to understand is that the holiday season doesn't make issues worse. It doesn't make your circumstance worse. It only puts a magnifying glass on it because of the season that we're in. But if you can take that magnifying glass off, that Christmas magnifying glass, you can, you can like you got through it in March, like you got through it in July, like you got through it in October, you'll get through it in December. 
and you will see 2022. The key is expected. Expectancy is important. Expect God to do the miraculous because he can. He can. So that would be my message to people. He can and he will. And he will. And he, and will. he will. I hope the audience is listening. I like when you said that seemed dead. God does not see us as dead. He no. see us as being alive. He said that I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But until we realize that that's what he wants for us, we've got to get in that space. And like you said, it's the commercial commercialization of the season that makes yes. us feel like we are alone, yes. that we are yes. in a dark space, that we are in yes. a lonely place. But if we yes. just look at it like we're going to make it through this month, like we yes. made it through last month. And exactly. like you said, expect to do it again. Expect, exactly. This has been <laughs> wonderful. I am so appreciative that I had the opportunity to speak with you. And I'm more pre appreciative that you accepted my request. Of course. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Um, just allowing me to have this platform. This is essentially, this is, this is what I prayed for. Like I prayed to God to allow me to do this because I love people. And I love to see people healed. I love to see people whole. I love to see people prosper. And so, you know, again, as we spoke, this is a seed. Like David said, restore the joy of my salvation. I prayed that prayer so many times because I understand how easy it is to get to that point like, oh God, I can't do this no more, you know. But so I, I hope, I hope and my prayer is that this was a seed that was planted for somebody today. Listen. Before we go, please tell our listening audience how they can find Christopher Hill. Yes. So my Facebook um, is Christopher Hill, M-E-D, M, Michael, E, Edward, D, Derek. And my Instagram is masterheal32, masterheal32, soon to be masterheal33 on next Friday. <laughs> and, to, and, and is your book ready? Uh I'm glad you asked. So my book now, um, the Kindle version is available on Amazon for $9. It is available in almost 13 countries. Um, my book was just ordered in South Korea a couple of days ago. So I'm very excited about that. Um, the hard copy will be out on December 18th, the date that God gave me seven days before my 33rd birthday. So it was symbolic. Um, and so please, please, I don't care which version you get, Kindle or the hard copy, just please get it. I don't, I want to discuss it with people. I want to see how they view the book and see how they, what they get from it. Because at the end of the day, scripture said, whatever you do for Christ shall last. So I want this to be something that is fulfilling for people. I don't care about sales. I care about a purpose. And so what's the title of your book? The title is called From the West to the Middle East the way God used my dream to shift me. And in February, my because I desire to reach everybody, in February, my book will be out in Arabic. Wow, that is absolutely wonderful. Yes. You have 
bless my soul today. Oh, I want you God. to know that. Blessings as you continue on your journey to healing and wholeness and thank have you. a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much. And you do the same to you and your family. Be blessed. And thank you again. And please continue to, to have this platform and to allow people this because even just talking to you today, I reached another level of freedom. So you're in the kingdom business as well. Thank you. And that is my purpose so that people can talk about those things that they don't get to talk about that's going to help them to heal. Thank exactly. you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am delighted that you have tuned in to this episode of Restored, A Journey to Healing and Wholeness. It has been a pleasure to share with you today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. I would also appreciate if you would like, share, follow, and subscribe so that you can stay abreast of all things Restored. Until next time, blessings as you continue your journey to healing and wholeness.